Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Hard Pills podcast, where we are exploring practical insight about anti-racism and social change. Uh, joining me from North Carolina is my co-host, Alicia, and I guess I should introduce hey, myself. <laughs> I'm Andre Henry, if you've never listened to this before. <laughs> and I want to start by telling you a story, Alicia. Are you ready? Go for it. Okay, so sometimes when I'm online... I like to just kind of troll the trolls. And one day, (laughs) (laughs) one day, this, this guy, he had been following me for a little bit and he kept talking like in some other language, not, not like, not like an official language, like Spanish or something, but he was speaking in some kind of code, some kind of jargon that I didn't understand about race and racism. And so he basically like kind of came at me for being, too playful online about talking about racism and it was something like you're out here making jokes and people are dying or something and in response i just found all the pictures of civil rights leaders that i could smiling and laughing and just started posting them in a thread in response to his comment (laughs) and then i muted him (laughs) i think i remember when this happened oh did you see that I'm fairly sure I did. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I know our listeners are probably wondering, like, what does this have to do with this week's show? And so knowing Andre, I could I could give some insights into this. So this week we will be speaking about pleasure and more specifically pleasure activism. And Mm. um, I'm guessing you told me this story because it gave you some degree of joy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be to connect you know like these historical examples of people like experiencing experiencing pleasure and joy in the midst of some really difficult work as a means of trolling this random guy on the internet. <laughs> well you know i wanted to i wanted to challenge in that moment that i did it the idea that like activism has to be and our justice work, however you want to talk about it, because not everybody likes the term activism, but that it doesn't have to be like this serious thing all the time. And in fact, I think that it'll burn us out if we don't. Like for me, there has to be space for playfulness and humor and all of that. And it did. It made me think about the conversation that we're sharing with people today, because that this is what Adrian Marie Brown's book is about. It's about pleasure activism. Oh, awesome. Well, I am super excited about this conversation. I'm just generally excited about Adrian Marie Brown. So for those of y'all who don't know, Adrian Marie Brown is a writer, activist, organizer, just brilliant human being um, who is the author of the new book, Pleasure Activism. She's also written um, Emergent Strategy in the past and is doing some really generative work around how we approach justice seeking um, and and social transformation in the world. And so this week we were super, super lucky to have her on the show. Andre did this incredible um, interview with her. They had, it seems like y'all had a really fun time in conversation. We had so much fun. (laughs) It sounded like it. It sounded like it. I am so excited for our listeners to hear what y'all got into conversation about. So Maybe it's a good time for us to get into this interview. No, it doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be this way. Doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't have to be this way. Hi, Adrian. Hi, how are you? 
I'm doing really great. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I had a relaxing weekend, so. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really honored to have you on the show. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me here. Yeah. So, um, obviously we want to talk about your work and all of that. And I thought it'd be great to start with your new book, Pleasure Activism. And I wondered if you could tell us what, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be a pleasure activist? I think that um, there's like maybe five or six different definitions in the book, but the main, <laughs> yeah. the main heart of it for me is that it's people who are working to make justice and liberation among the most pleasurable experiences we can have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, in the book that you have a practice of pleasure. And I wonder if you could tell us, what does that look like for you? Oh, yeah. I have so many practices of pleasure, but I feel like um, in general, I wake up each day trying to make my day one of the most pleasurable days of my life. And I work hard to bring pleasure into the experiences that I have with everyone that I interact with. Um, I try to, and I also use, use my enjoyment, my pleasure of something to help me determine if something's not actually um, Mm -hmm. the right move or where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, you can, you get that feeling. I think people get it in their gut or somewhere else where it's like a restlessness or just an energy that's like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't what I'm meant to be doing in this moment. Um, And I try to pay a lot of attention to those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, it makes me think of the, the phrase that you use, which I really love in the book, the, the orgasmic. Yes. Yes. It really helps. I feel like, you know, that to me, this whole idea is that we have a technology, an internal technology that Mm. tells us when we're enjoying something. And it's like Mm. all kinds of different um, small internal metrics, you know, like my breath will quicken. My heart will start Mm. to pound a little faster. I feel Mm -hmm. that aliveness, you know, when you're having a great conversation or when you're having a great orgasm, you know, you're just like, oh, Mm -hmm. yes, now, now I'm fully alive. I'm a fully miraculous being. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you want to bring that kind of energy to the things that you spend your day doing? Mm, Right. And then, uh, you know, why wouldn't we want to spend that kind of energy on, on being in right relationship with each other? Mm. Yeah, that's profound. And what showed you the necessity of of practicing pleasure? Like what was there a shift in your life where you're like, listen, I've got to do things differently or have you always been a pleasure activist? I think uh, this is actually kind of a deep question, Andre. It's like, <laughs> I think, you know, because I feel like as you, so I think that everyone has this potential. I think we're all wired towards pleasure. And I think mm-hmm. I'm no different. Like if I look back, I have early memories of being wired for pleasure wired for enjoying life. And then I feel like trauma comes along. And I think there's so many different kinds of trauma people experience. A -hmm. lot of it is based on identity. A lot of it is based on power struggles. Um, But then you get to a certain point where you're supposed to be an adult and Mm -hmm. you've lost touch with pleasure or you've lost touch. Like I, I feel like almost every adult I know is like, I want pleasure in my life. I'd like more pleasure in my life. Um, mm-hmm. and either time or trauma or loneliness or 
uh, mm. busyness. You know, there's all these things that kind of become a blockade between us and the pleasure that we we want to have and we're meant to have. Mm-hmm. And so then I think there's some a, a choice. So for me, I feel like being suicidal <laughs> was actually the thing, mm. although it's an extreme yeah. way. And I hope everyone else doesn't have to go all the way there. But I do think there yeah. was a feeling of like, I don't know that I really want to be here anymore. And then yeah. uh, the question that people ask you when you're feeling that way, or some people might ask you is like, well, what, what would make you want to be here? And mm. I feel like for me, the answer to that question was like, I want to enjoy my life. Yeah. Deeply enjoy my life. And mm-hmm. I, I know, I know that I can't, what I have learned is I can't just enjoy it on my own. Like it mm. has to be, I want to enjoy my life and be increasing the way that other people can enjoy life. And I think that's one of the distinctions maybe is mm. like, I think a lot of times, um, you know, when you think about distinctions between like feminism and black feminism or feminism and intersectional feminism, mm-hmm. and it's not enough to ever have something just off on your own or, you know, that can be enough for very privileged people who've lost touch with other humans. But for those of us mm. who are still like living amongst each other, right. Mm-hmm. There's a way mm-hmm. that it's like, Oh, I can feel it. If other people yeah. around me are being repressed or oppressed away from their natural pleasure center and yeah. it really detracts from my pleasure. Like I, I don't think pleasure functions in that hierarchical way. Like, I get more pleasure because mm-hmm. you're not getting any. You know? Right, right, so, right. Yeah. 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 That I'm is some thoughts. That is really deep. And I just want to, you know, pause and say, you know, thank you for sharing that. It's like really, you know, it's really generous of you to share that much of your story with us in that way. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's interesting. I feel like so much of what we need to learn about pleasure is on the other side of telling more honest truths about ourselves Mm -hmm. like i feel like so many of us so much of the way that our um repression you know i think of that as individual like repression really deeply um so much Mm. of that functions because we think we're alone you know like almost every time i've been like oh i'm such a weirdo i'm the only one who desires (laughs) i'm the only one who thinks like this it's just meant that i haven't found my people yet and mm. there's always some other people who are like, oh, yeah, I'd like to play in that particular way or I'd like to mm-hmm. feel that free or I'd like to, you know, go to the bathhouse or whatever it is. There's always someone out there. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, oh, how much am I stifling my own ecstatic life because I'm scared of saying the truth of what I desire? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were talking about that, I... I thought about my my own life as an activist and mm-hmm. the times when just being in the world has felt exhausting yeah. and where it feels like, okay, I can't keep doing it this way. Right. right? And so when you talk about making justice or justice work or liberation work or whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, making it the most pleasurable experience and even though I have the book and I'm I'm making my way through it, there's a part of me that goes, and I know there are a lot of people listening going like, how in the world? <laughs> no. I mean, I still feel that way myself. <laughs> you know, I, I, I laugh about this because I think I often create books or projects or ideas based around a question that I'm really sitting with and wanting to mm-hmm. give myself permission and room to explore. 
And one mm-hmm. way you get permission to explore things in this society is if you become a scholar of that thing, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it's like, well, if I'm a scholar, then people will send me pornographic material and I can study it, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that's literally what's happened is I'm like, I really want to understand what makes people turn towards something, move towards something, feel authentic, longing for something. Because I think that if we're going to create the kind of magnificent change that we know needs to happen in our society, we're going to have to have some longing. Like, I think we've tried all the other strategies. We've tried, Mm. like, we'll educate people and then they'll know, right? We will um, terrify people and then they'll change. (laughs) We will shame people and then that'll do it, right? We'll expose mm-hmm. and make fun of people for being so stupid that they like would waste the only planet they have. And that'll surely mm-hmm. do it. And it's like none of that has worked. You know, we've, we've tried these methods. They temporarily mm-hmm. might adjust behavior so that people can be socially, uh, you know, socially acceptable for a, a short period of time. But eventually, you know, that's what we realize about the true oligarchs, the true billionaires, the true have have population right that upper echelon Mm -hmm. is they don't care what we think and they don't care what their grandchildren think they don't care Mm -hmm. about right they just think about how can i have the most right now and that somehow i'll you know be able to make a way um Mm -hmm. and it's a very short term and very destructive way of thinking and so for me i'm always like okay well what would have to counter that and if we've tried all these other strategies and we've tried um, guilt and shame and all this stuff, then, you know, I think pleasure deserves a chance. Pleasure mm. so far in the organizing communities that I've been a part of, there's a part of us that likes to brag about how much we're hard workers and struggling and overdoing it. But there's also mm-hmm. a part of what brings us back that is about the pleasure of community and the pleasure yeah. of belonging and wanting, you know, there's nothing like the feeling of political home. And feeling Mm -hmm. like, oh, this place gets me, longs for me, wanted me, carved out space for me, allows me to be exactly who I am. And I think if we can start to study, right, what Mm -hmm. are the pleasures Mm -hmm. of that? Oh, it has to be authentic. I can't just be using these people and manipulating them to be numbers for my purpose. I have to actually care about what they care about. I have to actually like be in community. and. Mm It's a different invitation. Um, maybe it's a harder invitation. I'm, I'm not sure yet. I think time will tell. Yeah. What did you uh, think of it, Andre? What do I think of it? Yeah. Like, what do you think of, of pleasure as a way of entering into these conversations about movement? Yeah. You know what? I'm really glad that you asked me that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, really know. I already know what I think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, you are the first guest that has been like, what do you think, Andre? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so curious. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I thought about this actually as we like as I prepared for our conversation and thought, you know, I'm I grew up in church. And that's like my roots. And so something that makes me think about this, though, is um, actually the story of the Garden of Eden. Um, Okay. Because I got very upset with uh, my church upbringing when I found out that the word Eden is a Hebrew word for pleasure. Yes. And not only that, but it comes from this whole um, tradition of storytelling in the ancient Near East 
where they believed that the gods would, um, they had their own gardens that they would enjoy for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so in this, in this story, um, in Genesis one, it's told as though God builds a temple. And in Genesis two, you have this garden of mm-hmm. pleasure yeah. that any original hearer would have assumed belonged to God, God's self, and that God would be enjoying. But then God gives it to the humans. And so it's made me think about justice work as the reason that we need to that we aim through the target when we do justice work, because ultimately the thing on the other side of the work is that garden. That's right. And That's right. In, and in some ways, we're trying to open that garden to everyone, right? We're saying it's not fair that only the billionaires get to eat from these trees or whatever. Like we need everyone. Everyone deserves to, everyone has the right to be here. Everyone deserves yeah. to be here. Yeah, and there's an abundance. Exactly. Right? Like exactly. that myth of scarcity. Because like, you know, to carry the garden narrative, the garden story, Mm-hmm. Not like the garden became in any way less, right? Right. It's not like right. we were kicked out because we were overrunning the garden or anything like that. <laughs> it's a relationship to shame. And mm. it's one of the things that always makes me think shame is such a man-made concept because it works mm. so well as a control concept. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. If you can get people to feel so ashamed of our nature Um, then you can kind of always control us because the nature is not going to change. And it Mm. has like since the beginning of time, humans have wanted to have sex and alter our states and dally Mm -hmm. in the garden and Mm -hmm. play with our kids outside, you know, run around. I mean, like all these pleasures, um, because that has been an important thing for me to uncover with people is like a lot of times when I say pleasure, people go all the way to like sex dungeon, like, you know, <laughs> to me, right. Cause I'm just like, wow. Well, you know, Hmm. Right. Like to me, it's such a question, cause I'm just like, gosh, that's the first thing you think of when I say pleasure is like the most illicit, the most taboo pleasure. Yeah. Right. Which I do encourage. Right. Cause I'm like, those taboos are taboos for a reason. There's a lot of pleasurable release available when you reclaim those things which you're told you're not allowed to have and there's Mm -hmm. something in our society that feels very rooted in how we practice religion that is about Mm -hmm. like the forbidden and Mm -hmm. how the forbidden Mm -hmm. is then becomes the thing we most desire and the more you can't have it the more you desire and that becomes this whole own thing and Mm -hmm. it's interesting because i think some people i almost think of that as a phase of sexual development and mm. that I think a lot of people get stuck there because they get mm-hmm. stuck in repressive relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's, you can get in a path where it's like, oh, my whole relationship is a scarcity-based relationship where mm. I think I own the other person. I never get enough of their attention. I never get enough of their touch. I never get enough of their love. And wow. like we play games to kind of reinforce all that not enough, not enough, not enoughness. And then what we desire ends up getting tucked into these places that are not necessarily healthy, that wouldn't Mm. feel right in the light. And then you just create a vicious cycle, right? Where it's like, now there's a deep scarcity in your relationship. 
because you're mm-hmm. based on ownership rather than on telling each other the truth about what you long for. Mm-hmm. And then the thing you long for is always out of reach. And the person next to you could be the thing you long for, but they'll never know because you don't know how to have a conversation, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, yeah. What you actually desire. So, so much of pleasure activism right now is trying to get like, how do we learn to speak about our desires in real time? And how do yeah. we move towards what we long for? And then how do yeah. we use the skill set that we build with that to actually have those kind of conversations about things that are not sexual or not related mm. to that, but like mm-hmm. related to other aspects of justice, other kinds of boundaries? Yeah, I, you know, this actually one of my questions as I was preparing for this is, yeah. okay, so here's, here's something kind of funny about just the book. I've had the book for a few weeks now. Okay. And I did not notice that on the cut co- on the cover <laughs> that it's like all animals like having sex. I didn't even I, I didn't notice it until this morning. <laughs> Andre, what did you think was on the cover? I don't know. I just it's like a pattern. I, yeah, just I just saw like a pattern, and then which is which is really funny, and I don't know what it says about me that I didn't notice until this morning. I mean, it's just like, so, it says you subtle, you know, you're like, that's not what I'm, my mind is not in the gutter, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> probably, it's a good thing. I would take it as a great thing. It's just like, you're still <laughs> available for surprise, you know? <laughs> so, so I'm looking at it and I, because one thing is like, when you, when you just flip it open, for those who are going to read it, when you just flip yeah. it open, you see that, um, that sexuality is a huge part of it, but it is, but it's more than that too. Like there's yeah. the chapter that you begin writing while you've, while you've had, um, you've had some, some weed and, um, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like one of my favorite parts of any book ever that someone's just like, Hey, I'm kind of high right now. And I'm just going to go with it. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to, I'm, it's still something I want to go further with uh, yeah. is, is actually speaking from the altered state. Um, mm-hmm. whatever that is, it's very interesting to me. And I think there's a lot of ways that it ends up going badly. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> I've seen stuff where people are like, yeah, man, we're just high. And it's like, you know, a lot of things can happen when you're high. Some people mm-hmm. are very reductionist with yes. their humor and their view. And some mm-hmm. people get very expansive and some drugs have different things, but like, there's thoughts that I've had while I was on mushrooms that I was like, God, I really wish that I could communicate this out mm-hmm. to other people. And the only way I would ever even imagine that being possible is like visually, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But then there's people who are so scared to actually alter their state. So I'm like, you mm-hmm. would really benefit from some of the realities <laughs> that are only available if you let go of, of the control myth of control that you have right now mm. anyway yeah but i'm glad you like that part so well, yeah i appreciate that part. so i i think it's just that um as i so i i noticed i read you know there's a bunch about sex and then there's uh-huh. also some about the the politics the radical politics of drugs i can't remember exactly how it's worded Something like that and um the and the chapter about beyonce and i'm saying yeah the way that you're talking about pleasure is like it's robust. And I wondered how, I think one question that people will obviously have is how do you maintain this as a part of, you know, your, your wholeness and not just escaping, you know, the realities of, you know, watching the news or something like that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, First of all, I think it's okay to escape sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I, I actually think we need to give ourselves a little bit more permission to do so, um, yeah. especially when times are really, really rough. And mm-hmm. so there's an essay in there um, or an interview in there that's with the um, current um, uh, executive director of the Harm Reduction Society. Mm-hmm. Harm Reduction Society. <laughs> anyway, the Harm Reduction Coalition. And I love that interview and I love the politics of harm reduction because one of the first things it says mm. is let's not deny that we are living in a really traumatic and hard time. And so yeah. the idea that like everyone should just be able to somehow sustain a sober, upbeat energy through all of that is actually, it's hard. And all mm. the people in my life who have chosen sobriety who, mm-hmm. who find that it does not work for them to dabble or to try moderation or other methodologies. It's like, this is hard. And it's, it's hard for the rest of my life. I'm making the commitment for this to be hard. Yeah. Right? And I yeah. think we don't acknowledge that enough. That it's actually not easy, um, especially if you're drawn to that. And especially if life is really difficult, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. So the first piece is I always say, I think sometimes it's okay to escape. I know I just spent an entire weekend where I was like, I need this to be a solo weekend. I need yeah. to escape from the news and from incoming text and from whatever anyone else needs from me right now. I just need a couple of days off of mm. you know, human, right? And yeah. I think that's important sometimes. But then I think the other piece of it is, to me, a lot of this is that it's important to actually be reminded of why we want to be alive and what it is mm. we're fighting for. Like, what is it that we're trying to bring about? Yeah. I think that we take the risk if we never give ourselves any time that is dedicated to pleasure. I think we take mm-hmm. the risk of forgetting what it is we're fighting for and mm-hmm. beginning to think that our identity is just our depressed place. It's mm-hmm. just the oppressed place. It's just the way that someone else's social system has determined that I'm a less than human being and yeah. trying to fight against that. And so you can start to, you know, and I see us do this all the time. We mm-hmm. end up claiming um, claiming victories that are not actually tied to what we really want and need because mm-hmm. we're just so worn down and we kind of lose our sense of, wait, what is it we were actually fighting for anyway? Um, yeah. We end up fully on the defense, right? There's just all this stuff that can happen that I think shifts if you're actually in touch with makes you, what, what makes you feel alive. And yeah. so- one of the things I think that comes out in the drugs chapter, but also there's a piece about excess. There's a piece about over overindulgence. Mm-hmm. And for me, a lot of that is like, there's a difference between being high and being numb. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between feeling pleasure and being numb. There's yeah. a difference between feeling deeply alive and feeling numb. And I think, again, this is the cut to me. This is like the drug and sex education that all young people should receive. Mm-hmm. there's substances in the world and some of them are really lovely and some of them might be great for you. <laughs> you really mm-hmm. want to understand what they are and what they do and like, um, you know, what, what it is that you're longing for. You know, I remember mm-hmm. the first time I went to Amsterdam. And, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or the first time I went as an adult and mm-hmm. <laughs> <who could> do- <laughs> Uh, the very first time I went, I was with my family and we, we I didn't do any drugs. But when I went back as an adult, I remember going in with uh, uh, my then lover into mm-hmm. like, a dispensary. And they mm-hmm. had someone who was basically like a weed bartender. And yes. I was able to describe to them, like, here's how I would like to feel. Like, really alert and 
just relaxed and happy. And they were able mm. to tell me like, oh, here's the specific strain that does exactly that. And mm. they were able to sell me exactly that. And that's exactly how I felt. Like I could walk around Amsterdam and have a beautiful experience and be very alert, very alive. Like, mm -hmm. you know, basically just have a heightened experience of reality. And it was amazing. And yeah. then to come back to the U.S. and be like, oh, because we have not had this as a legalized substance, because it's all been underground forever and because so many people have been punished for trying to you know bring us this medicine mm -hmm. um, we end up with subpar quality right we end mm -hmm. up with like, oh, <laughs> like get the shitty weed it's like kitty litter stuff or oregano mm -hmm. or whatever and <laughs> you know like when i lived in new york i'm like there's definitely some times that i'm like eh, this is like 80 percent oregano like there's <laughs> There's no bud. I mean, anyway, um, <laughs> it was just like the power of being in a place that was at least temporarily really free, um, free wheeling and open to the fact that what they were selling was a medicine. And mm -hmm. so you need to be able to like adjust your dose and actually have the experience you want. But it was really mm -hmm. exciting too to be like, oh, that's possible. Like, so then again, I think who benefits from us only having access to medicine that makes us really numb? Right. Like mm -hmm. how come we're being flooded with Coke? Right. Like who yeah. benefits from these things? And I'm like, it's the government. <laughs> yeah. no, I mean, I don't know. Should we beat around that? Cliff? You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway. So, wow. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Adrian, I've so enjoyed talking to you today. It has been such a pleasure. I've enjoyed talking with you, Andre, so much. Really, you're fantastic. Oh, thank you. Um, where can people find you and keep in touch with you? Honestly, Instagram is like my spot. Adrian Marie Brown at Insta on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, Marie is spelled with two E's because um, my parents took French in college. Oh. So um, that's that's a huge place that I post a ton of stuff. My website, adriamariebrown.net. Um is another great place where folks can just find a ton of my writing. I link to a lot of things there. Um, those are basically the good places to look. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And we'll talk again some other time. I appreciate you, Andre. Peace. Appreciate you too. Peace. No, it doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be this way. Doesn't have to be. No, doesn't have to be. Okay, so Alicia, first off, I am like super sad that you didn't join the podcast yeah. when we had that interview with her. I too am sad. <laughs> that would have been so. I like, I had so many feelings about the fact that we'd already done this interview before you joined us. So I just have to know, like, about the way that you and your own justice work. How have you related to having joy and pleasure as you go about fighting um, trauma and stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I think about like, you know, my work, whether it be the stuff around justice seeking or um, even like, you know, ministry, um, I like to make space for play. Um, so I'm actually connected mm -hmm. to this conference that's happening um, in a few weeks called um, Evolving Faith. And I will be doing pastoral care with yeah. people of color who are going to be there. And so one of the things specifically I've asked 
or mm-hmm. tools for play. Um, too often times, like when we have mm. conversations um, around, you know, things that are serious, right? When we have conversations about like, you know, what inclusion looks like, what working for a better world looks like, what spiritual wellness or, you know, mm-hmm. a number of, of, of things or in a number of different ways means, we forget to play. We forget to do the things that give us joy. And so um, as a part of my yeah. toolkit, like I've asked um, the organizers of that, if we could have like playing cards and dominoes because cards and dominoes <laughs> is a color, <laughs> allow for like joy and uproarious laughter and competition, but like beautiful competition um, to, I think, come forward. Yeah. Some like, you know, culturally specific games, um, that I remember for like my youth from like other uh, people coming from like other countries introduced me to some things. So I've asked for, um, for like, yeah, games so we could play because I think that's a part of like exploring spirituality. I think it's a part of, you know, exploring and um, committing to justice is making time for play. That sounds awesome. That sounds like it's going to be really fun. I hope so. I mean, like, you know, as we're making space for contemplation and consideration, which I think, you know, you know, definitely spirituality work has, but also like justice work has, like those moments. Um, Taking time to find what gives us joy. I mean, joy is another way, I think, to conceive, you know, this concept of pleasure. Um, Yeah, play is like a big part of that. Yeah, it reminds me of this quote from Rebecca Solnit from a book that pretty much saved my life, uh, where she says that joy doesn't betray activism, but sustains it. Mm -hmm. And that has been like a huge truth that I hold on to really dearly. So um, I know you have questions. So, (laughs) so what questions come up for you from this conversation? Oh my gosh, I have so many. Um, As I've asked, (laughs) I am a professional question asker. Um, I love asking questions, but like one thing um, in particular that popped out at me and I've been like sitting with this since listening to this interview is, um, what is the relationship between pleasure, control, abundance, and scarcity? I think Mm. the conversation that you and Adrian had, like brought these things to mind and, you know, like all these things, I think, you know, live in tension with one another. Um, Like I was just really sitting here pondering. It's like, hmm, how do these things like, you know, work, with each other, work alongside each other, like disrupt one another. This could be a good time to turn the questions to y'all as our listeners. What are some things that you find pleasurable? Like, think about it. Like, what are the things that give you joy, that make you happy as it relates to like life generally, but also is this work of anti-oppression and anti-racism and, you know, and equity that you're, you're working towards? Like, what is giving you what are the things that you find pleasurable here? And I'm not going to leave you with just one question because that's not how I roll. And y'all will find this over this coming. <laughs> um, we've got two more questions. One is going to be, what do you need to do to interrogate and then speak to what gives you pleasure in life? Like what, like how are you in space for this? Not just what gives you pleasure, but how are you going to prioritize pleasure in your world? Mm, and for our final question, question, what could it mean for you to lean into your longings as a means for personal and communal transformation? So as you identify, mm. you know, gives you pleasure, 
And then you consider like what you need to like shift around in your world to make space for it. How is that going to lead to change for you and change for the folks around you because of that prioritizing of, yes, your pleasure, but also the pleasure of the people who you surround yourself with and who you're in community with? Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts also helps us get in more ears and minds. This podcast is made possible by our fantastic patrons. Thank you for being a part of our work at Hope and Hard Pills. As usual, you'll get the uncut extended version of the episode on Patreon. If you want to join the work in our Patreon community, just look us up at patreon.com slash Andre Henry. To go deeper, get subscribed to our email newsletter. Head over to andrerhenry.com and click join the movement, where you'll get practical insight on anti-racism and social change every week. And you'll never miss a new article, song, or podcast episode. You can follow Andre Henry on Facebook and Instagram at TheAndreHenry. Connect with Alicia on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alicia T. Crosby and her website, AliciaTCrosby.com. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. See you next time. Peace.